from Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, April 8th, 2011, and this is The Relevant Podcast, not to be confused with the others. I'm your host, Josh Lujan Loveless, sitting in for the lovely Cameron Strang. That's right. <laughs> Joining me today is uh, is Ryan Ham. Hey, everyone. Uh, as well, today we have Roxy Weeman. Hi. And uh, in Virginia, we'll just leave it at that for now, it's <laughs> Jesse Carey. Hello, friends. Uh, we've got a great podcast coming up. Um, we say that every week. Um, that's uh, part of uh, part of sitting in this chair. I think is just saying it's going to be awesome. And yeah. most of the time, we deliver. Yeah. Most of the time, it's it's really an act of faith. It's yeah. a prediction at this point because I have not heard what happens two thirds of the way through this podcast. Mm. We've not recorded it yet. I'm just believing that it's going to be good. We'll see. Uh, coming up, we have an artist spotlight on James Vincent McMorrow. Uh, as well as an interview with author Mike Foster about his book, Graceonomics. Let's go ahead and get started with some entertainment releases. Coming out on Tuesday, April 12th in the music world is Alison Krauss and Union Station's album, Paper Airplane. Rox is excited. I have a soft spot in my heart for Alison Krauss. Can you, can you give me one reason why? <laughs> she does a really good voice. She's got a beautiful voice. Do you love the Union Station? With Allison Krauss. <laughs> you like to visit there? Roxy loves anything that has a chance at playing at Lilith Fair. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's anything true. on the Lilith Fair lineup is yeah. an album that will be bought. That's like cliche though. I mean you're the you're the you know, woman that's thirty that likes Lilith Fair music. Do you, oh. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm just I'm saying <laughs> I don't know. I mean do you like the cliche? I'm a stereotype. Okay. I don't know what else to say. Okay. Just Have you ever been to a Lilith Fair? No. <laughs> but I'm sure I'd enjoy it okay. a lot. <laughs> Amazing. Um, you did not get a ticket for your 30th birthday. I didn't. I got to be honest, though. When I was like a senior in high school, I would have loved going to Lilith Fair. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, me too. Because yes. I loved all that stuff. And girls. All that <laughs> stuff. Although, <laughs> although I'm not sure. I'm not sure the girls at Lilith Fair would have been interested in there me. There we go. There that's, we go. That's I was the, waiting for it. Yeah. Thank oh. you. Uh, we've got uh, the Foo Fighters coming out with a new album called Wasting Light. I've heard re- good reviews. Ryan, have you heard it? Uh, I listened to one track yesterday. Okay. The, the, you know, they recorded it analog, so it would sound really old school. Yeah. Right? In someone's and basement. In a garage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dave Grohl's garage. It, they, I think they drive into a basement garage. <laughs> Combine both of them. I love the Foo Fighters, man. Still? Oh, heck yeah. When the color and the shape came out, like, I was probably like 15. And, you know, at, at the time, I was like into like a lot of like punk rock and, you know, sunny day real estate and all that jazz. But I don't know. There's just something awesome about that. Just like that straight up 
kind of uh, rock and roll from Dave Grohl. I, I agree. Somebody was driving by my house the other day, and they pulled up to the stoplight, and I heard Everlong blaring out of it, <laughs> and I started singing along to every word. That and, the, that's what I'm saying, man. You can't hear that song and be like, all right, the Foo Fighters are awesome. Yeah. That was one of the first albums I really liked that had the F word on it, and I was really <laughs> conflicted about that. You were? Yeah, yeah. That and, oddly enough, Sarah uh, McLaughlin surfacing. Mm. No. Yeah. A little affair coming yeah. back. <laughs> no, no surprise. You have, you have a soft spot for Sarah McLaughlin if you if you dreamed of going to Little Affair. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and and the other thing, like February Stars, is an underrated oh, that song. That song is amazing. Yeah. Because it kind of had. Remember the band Hum that had a song called Stars. No. I think they had a song. Oh. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 I think they were a band that only had ever put out one song. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I remember. But that for. song was awesome and still is awesome chad i don't know if i'm asking too much maybe we could put in a clip at some point but february stars was a lot like that where it had this like really mellow start and it just got to these this like wall of guitars that you know people just don't that was that was what 90s rock was all about man you know hold on jesse calling for uh chad to play a song is kind of like a guy on a dance floor pointing at a dj (laughs) and saying like play my song buddy no no it's like all skate it's like i'm heading out to the dance floor but I want one more couple skates. Yeah. Do, do me a solid, bro. That's amazing. Uh, Paul Simon you has... You don't have to do that, Jeff. <laughs> no, it's good. I think you should. Uh, Paul Simon has uh, an album coming out called So Beautiful or So What. Uh, TV on the radio uh, has an album called Nine Types of Light. Atmosphere has their album The Family Sign coming out. Panda Bear has Tomboy. Uh, Brett Denon has uh, an album called Loverboy coming out. Uh, the band Low has uh, an album entitled "Come On." They're Mormons, really. Yeah. Does that is that conflicting to you, like the F word in a song when, <laughs> a few years ago? No, <laughs> it's it's just sort of I don't know. It's, it's just a, a factoid. Like yeah, it's just killers. a factoid. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting too because like I don't I don't know about you, like but like I always associate Mormons with like the nicest, happiest people ever. Yeah, Low is not happy. Oh. Low is like the opposite of happy. Okay. Um, like one of my best friends has already decided that he wants a low song to be played at his funeral as dirt's <laughs> being shoveled onto his coffin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is he Mormon? No. What no. kind of creepy guy thinks about that? Oh, I've, Ryan thought, does. I've thought about it. We've had this conversation. Are you going to have that, that song that plays in the SPCA commercials from Sarah McLaughlin? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Only if she does a commercial for it. And then you're going to do a plea for, yeah. for everyone That's to right. adopt a puppy on the way out. That'll be Ryan's service. legacy. Exactly. Oh. Adopting Take puppies. a puppy with you. <laughs> are those commercials still on? I haven't seen one of yeah. them. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah, really late at night. They only play during Lifetime original movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of Lifetime original movies and the Little Affair rounding out our music release, is Katie Lang wow. has an album called Sing It Loud. Katie Lang uh, is responsible for singing uh, my least favorite song of all time, Constant Craving. Oh. <laughs> Would you like to hear that on the podcast? No, I'm going to point to you. Hey, DJ, <laughs> couple skate. Uh, that'll do it uh, for our music releases. Coming out uh, in the movie world on Friday, April 15th, Scream 4. Yes. Ryan is ridiculously Ryan is excited, so excited for this. About really? it. Yeah. In, in case you were unaware with this cast who has previously been uh, involved in movies like this, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox will be there to haunt you. I'm who? like, I'm way too excited about it. Why? Because I've loved every Scream movie. They're so right. good. 
All of them are great. I didn't see the third one, but the, the first two were too. great. I don't know if I've ever seen any of them in their entirety. I've, I've like oh. seen them, maybe like people I'm hanging out with are watching it at That's the house feel, or, yeah. or like, something. But I like I I love it because their movies like they're made for movie geeks. What's different about a, the Scream series compared to you know? They're like hyper self-referential, and so yeah. the whole movie is like. Wait, that's deep. Wait, s- s- slow down. What? They're the, hyper what? Self-referential. Oh. So like they're Explain. constantly making fun of the horror genre and the conventions in the horror genre okay. while they're either subverting those conventions. No, no, that's or... scary movie. You're thinking of no. the, the parody no, no. of scream. No, yeah, you're definitely thinking of the way into <laughs> <laughs> So like I mean the whole time, so like I mean it's say in Scream Two, there's like a huge conversation as to why sequels are never better than the first one. Okay. And um, then in Scream Three uh, there's a video from this film geek guy all about how if you're if you're watching this, it probably means I've died and you've made it and there's another murder, so you're in a trilogy. Okay. Here's how to escape. Okay. All right. So it's clever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I think part of the attraction too is I was never allowed to watch them when okay. I was in high school. There we so go. when I got to college, I watched all. For three. a guy that was really concerned about a song with the F word in it, yeah. you really come a long way. I know. <laughs> you now like slasher movies. And I just requested that Chad play a Rick Ross song as my entrance music. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Which I won't do, but I am listening to it over here on my own side of the studio. <laughs> it's so epic. That's great. Rick Ross played here uh, in Orlando last night. That's nice. Yeah. I thought about going, but the only time I've ever gone to a show like that was Drake, and I felt like filthy like halfway through. Well, I imagine Drake's uh, has a PG rated show compared to. Oh yeah, L- I mean Wayne. it was Rick Ross, Lil Wayne, and Nicki Minaj. Like yeah. I would have yeah. felt disgusted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would have felt disgusted. Like fifteen minutes, I would have been like. Did you this feel like your life was in ever. danger? Well, I didn't go. <laughs> did Teresa go? No, she didn't go either. Teresa did, however, uh, find out where Nicki Minaj was staying, <laughs> and she, she went to stalked. the. Yeah, she may have uh, hung out in the lobby for a while. Uh, for those that aren't aware, Teresa is uh, is one of our fellow friends and employees here at Relevant, and she is a, a gang member. <laughs> yes, she is. Um, uh, another movie release coming out, uh, starring Jesse Eisenberg. What is he going to do next? Everyone wants the to know. Social Network too. MySpace. <laughs> Anne Hathaway, Jamie Foxx. This seems like a. This is going to be amazing. It's Rio, the animated oh. feature film. That's mm-hmm. right. And finally, The Conspirator, starring Robin Wright Penn, James McAvoy, Tom Wilkinson, and Evan Rachel Wood. I saw a preview for that yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You don't, I mean, you're not sure. I don't know. I don't know. On that could be cool. <laughs> indecisive it could be note. Real, well, it could be really good or it could be really bad. Uh, that will do it for your entertainment releases. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices. This week's podcast is brought to you by YesHeIs.com, the site that gives you content about interests that you have in common with friends. YesHeIs.com content introduces Jesus in a relevant way through video clips on a wide range of interests and personalities, specially selected for sharing in your social networks. Check out YesHeIs.com today. You're listening to The Boxer Rebellion. The song is Locked in the Basement. 
which is different than Trapped in the Closet. Yeah, I was but it say. feels similar to me. It's playing right now on Relevant FM and is from the album The Cold Still. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Sun Bears. The song is Little Baby Pines. Mm-hmm. It's wow. playing right now on Relevant FM and Relevant TV. It's from the album Dream Happy Dreams. Wow. wow. That just Isn't that amazing? Sounds so and doesn't their name have an exclamation point in it? Yes, happy. it does. Oh, man. They're the cheeriest band. They They're the opposite of low. They're, yeah. <laughs> they, it sounds like it. What religion are they? <laughs> <laughs> I'll join immediately. <laughs> All right, people, it's time for slices. Jesse, what do you have for us? Well, uh, you know, we, we were just uh, we just celebrated uh, a great American holiday, April Fool's Day. <laughs> and uh, some of the pranks uh, that, that happened, um, the one in particular um, has police looking for the prankster. Uh, what happened is um, some, a Walmart employee... Uh, heard cries for help coming from a stall in the men's room. Um, and the unfortunate victim of the prank, who was 48 years old, uh, was stuck to the toilet seat. Oh, no. At Walmart? <laughs> At Walmart. That's, that's so <laughs> gross. Actually, that doesn't sound like a prank. That sounds like just an average yeah, day at Walmart. Average day. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the police, um, they, they had to, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't get him off of the, off of the seat. Oh. And so uh, the seat came with them to the hospital where oh, it was no. later removed. Um, but the, uh, you know, the police do not think it's uh, uh, funny. And they are saying that if they find the person, they are going to face like second degree assault charges. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. Oh, but obviously dream. this this uh, person did not put toilet paper down. No. Or <laughs> it would have been discovered. Yeah. Or even look at the seat. I, I mean, yeah, that is well, that's unheard of to be in a public restroom and not true. even observe well, because yeah. the like, state of at the Walmart. seat. Yeah. And you would at least like see that it was like moist. I know that, that for the most part glue is clear you know yeah so so it's essentially it's invisible but I mean if you're looking down and you see if you see the the seat is wet yeah. which it would be you're not sitting there that's what I'm mm-hmm. saying like that's yeah yeah maybe he had an emergency oh, <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> evidently yeah wow <laughs> I mean who hasn't been at Walmart and <laughs> Well, it's after you've eaten an entire bag of Sam's Choice brand Doritos. Oh, Sam's Choice. <laughs> and wash it down with two cans of Dr. Thunder, which costs you 35 cents for the... Is that a real... That's a real brand? Yeah, Dr. Thunder. Dr. Thunder. Yeah. Huh. Good yeah. deal. Ryan, what do you have? <laughs> uh, mine is uh, from the great state of Florida, because crazy stuff happens here all here the time. in germany i don't understand it's so weird yeah but, but which by the way have you guys watched i'm sorry to interrupt but have you guys watched swamp, swamp people yes <laughs> it is awesome it. it doesn't take place in florida but it does take place in the swamps where it's basically a show about people hunting and killing alligators <laughs> yeah in in boats that i don't understand how they continue running what are they killing them for I, apparently they sell them somehow they never really tell 
who they're selling them to, but they, they indicate that this is how these, these people make their living. They wow. just like throw a string out there and like catch them. <laughs> it looks remarkably see, see, easy to like, catch your alligator. It's like this long string. I mean, it's not a string. It's a wire, but it looks yeah, like, and it it's looks got like, like a, hook a hook on it, on it. but yeah. they don't bait it. They just like I'm picturing see them. an alligator moving and they like it, throw it and it, catch and it and then reel it in You somehow. make it sound like... And then like, shoot it right in the head. Right in the head. <laughs> and then but they the thing is like, it looks so unsafe. They're in like these Tiny, tiny. I was watching one episode. They're in these boats. tiny steel old canoes, right? With like this, like old rundown outboard motor. So yeah, they have this little hook on like kite string, and they throw it, and I guess it snags the gator. And while the guy is operating the boat and in smoking a cigarette and and hauling in an alligator on on a kite string with a hook, he shoots it in the head with a gun, <laughs> like with like a shotgun. And then all the at end, the same time. And then by the end, they have like 14 alligators in this little <laughs> boat. And they're like stepping on them and like oh walking gosh. around. It's amazing. That wow. does sound amazing. Is that, Was there a reason why you brought that up, Jesse, or you just wanted it us just to talk about it? It sounded kind of like Florida. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, Ryan was saying Florida's a crazy, crazy place. Um, and, and it just kind of reminded me of swamp people. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say this. Which people, isn't actually about Florida. Florida. It's in like Louisiana. It just reminds right? you yeah, of, of Louisiana, people, people like us. <laughs> but but I but I'll say like I mean every you, you guys are aware that that genre of television like it's not celebrity reality. It's not like a game like Amazing Race or Survivor. It's just these weird shows <laughs> yeah. that are typically on like A and E or something. Uh, yep. uh, I really love them. Um, and the final or, or the the final four was on. And also a Swamp People marathon, and I really love basketball, but I'll be honest, I pretty much watch Swamp People. <laughs> That's good. Well, you should have done that during the national championship because it was so bad. But yeah, it was yeah, probably this, way this more was fun. actually when, when a team from Virginia, uh, Cinderella, was in. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time turning away from Swamp People marathon. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand. The Commonwealth, though. Uh, Ryan. All right. So uh, this does take place in Florida. Um, right here in Orlando, in fact. Mm. Uh, do you know where Ace Tattoo is? I don't know where that is. Mm-mm. Anyway. Uh, so this guy was giving a tattoo to a customer as he... Handing it to her. Yes, exactly. As any you know, tattoo artist is wont to do in a tattoo parlor. Mm-hmm. Um, and a man came into the tattoo parlor looking presumably somewhat agitated. And uh, basically the tattoo artist was like, have a seat. Uh, look through some of the books, so we'll be with you in a second. So, find, of, your, find yourself a nice unicorn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So instead of having a seat, the guy pulls out a sword. Oh, he was also carrying a guitar. I forgot to mention that. Okay. So he's carrying a sword now and a guitar and tries to stab the tattoo artist. What? Yeah, he like swings, he swung the sword at the tattoo artist and like caught him in the shoulder or something and then smashed the guitar into the back of his head. And then he tried to stab the stab the guy who was getting a tattoo who was like down on a table or something. Yeah. And the guy getting a tattoo uh picked up a giant glass coffee table and smashed it over the guy's head who was holding this is this. like were they filming a Tarantino movie yeah exactly <laughs> it's so, a Tarantino uh, and so they so the you know the police come obviously and you know like the guy the tattoo artist and the customer weren't hurt and the guy with the sword and the guitar was hurt because he got smashed on the head with a glass coffee table oh my gosh and um 
So, you know, obviously the police are asking him questions. At first, he said that they were playing mind games with him. <laughs> that was his response. Well, yeah. So then he changed it and said that they were playing. I'm not like I'm not making this up. He said that they were playing sex games with him and that they had referred to him as a chain gang punk. And that incited, <laughs> incited his rage. And he just to happened to be carrying a sword. A sword and a guitar. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're walking around with a sword... <laughs> I, I got news for you. People are probably going to be making fun of you behind your back. <laughs> Not to your face because you're armed with a sword. Yeah, right? Right. And there's only a certain type of person that carries a sword. But I just but. love, like, I love that the idea that the insult, you are a chain gang punk, would be enough to incite someone to try to stab you with a sword. But when you think yeah, about... But what, was, he, was he in the town where Footloose was, uh, <laughs> was filmed? Where that is a, a painful uh, insult? <laughs> but when you run this chain gang punk out of here. When you think of sword guy, though, you think about the guy that's going to be incited by something like that. Yeah, I, yeah that's I true. Think, I mean, I... I imagine a trench coat may have been involved. I imagine, mm. uh, yeah, that he and and some casual nudity, casual nudity, yeah, Maybe. Doc Martens, yeah. I but I also didn't understand the link in his head between chain gang punk and sex games. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, I can make a link, but it wouldn't <laughs> be appropriate. <laughs> and a guitar and, and sword-filled rampage. Yeah, man, I am not going to Ace Tattoo Mm-mm. to get my unicorn. Uh, Roxy, what do you have? Coincidentally, mine has also happened in the state of Florida. Oh, indeed! Look how prepared you are. I know. Roxy's got it I written have a on, sticky like, note. She's got this little sticky note with like little nice writing Stop. on it. Ryan uh, freestyles his slices, which I, I always appreciate. He yeah, uh, most of Ryan's are made up. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have any notes. He just comes They're in prepared. Improv. He's a walking slice machine. All right, here in Florida, in Lake Worth, the city manager Susan Stanton has been accused of being homophobic and narrow-minded toward the city's gay citizens. Okay. Which wouldn't really be news at all, except that Miss Stanton used to be Steve Stanton before she had her sex change operation. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. It, was this known? What, do you know yes. if this was known? Yes. This was, she was fired from her previous city manager position for having a sex change operation, and then she got this city manager position. Wait, can you do that? Can you fire Probably not public? legally. But, I mean, this is the government, right? Yeah, right. maybe they found uh, some other Another reason. Another reason. Yeah. yeah. But she's saying... She said it was because of her sex change operation. Okay, all right. But now, apparently, she's become homophobic and narrow-minded. And narrow-minded. She seems open-minded to me. I mean, I don't I mean, know her. <laughs> what did she do that made made them think she was homophobic? I don't really know. The d- article didn't say. I think you're. I think this is Screams. an episode of Parks and Rec. You're Maybe. Afraid. Yes. <laughs> I think it is too. Parks and Rec. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I is, think so. This is coming up on the next episode. This is ripe for Sold. satire. <laughs> All right. That'll do it. Let's for salvage this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out how to transition that one. You can uh, edit that one nicely, Chad. Thank you. That one will be edited so it's like, and now it's time for slices. And that was slices. That's very encouraging. Hey, the toilet seat was safe. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That was very encouraging. That'll do it for Slices. Up next, James Vincent McMorrow.
Uh, you're listening to Oland, and the song is Son of a Gun. It's playing right now on Relevant TV and is from the album Oland. James Vincent McMorrow is a singer-songwriter from Dublin, Ireland, and is just starting to become popular here in the U.S. His debut album, Early in the Morning, was released in the U.S. in January and contains a collection of songs featuring haunting melodies, mythical storytelling, and traditional folk-style musical structures. James has just announced he'll be going on tour with the Civil Wars this summer. Ryan, you uh, you interviewed James. I did. Uh, what's he like? Uh, Irish. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was pretty cool to talk to. He's yeah. got, we had a lot of similar literary likes. Musical uh, skills and talents, would you say? He, he sounds sort of like, uh, he's got some Bonavere in there okay. with uh, some Ray Lamentane. Okay. Did you, did you guys like just that. kind of shoot the breeze about like Middle Earth and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, he really likes Roald Dahl and John Steinbeck. So we okay. talked a little bit about that. Good, good. I listened to some of his music earlier today and I really liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here is our interview with James Vincent McMorrow. First of all, I was reading through um, some of the stuff like on your website. Um, one quote that kind of uh, stuck out to me was you said that during the making of this album, you were going through what you said was the period of greatest change in your life, um, like from a physical, emotional, and spiritual level that you've ever gone through. Yeah. Um, what did you mean by that? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, to be honest, uh, it's sort of going into like the the year i guess preceding making the record i think that's sort of what what i was alluding to um i mean I, in a nutshell I, I sort of signed a a publishing deal with emi at the start of 2008 and uh, in the uk and and, and uh, i moved to the uk for a little while and uh, sort of tried to make a record there and and did some various things and wasn't really enjoying any of us to be honest and uh, I went into a studio to try and make an album around October of um, 2008 and uh, after about three weeks I think I had like, a drum track recorded I just wasn't really happy and it just, it just nothing really was working for me personally I w- w- couldn't really figure out how I wanted to make a record or what I wanted it to be or to say and none of the sort of obvious routes for making albums worked for me so I, I moved back to Ireland in, in November of 2008 and and then I, I sort of got a random call from um, a friend uh, the guy that sort of had helped me out with some shows early on in, in, in Ireland and he was promoting Tracy Chapman in, in Dublin and they had just gotten rid of their tour support and he asked if I would come along and play one show and that was the first opportunity I really had to sort of play songs for any considerable period of time on that festival on that tour and, 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 and sort of seeing the reactions and seeing how people liked some songs and didn't like others and the songs that I was unsure, like the songs that I really loved but I wasn't sure if people would react to were the ones that people reacted to the most. 
And then I sort of took that and, and, and brought that into the new year where I rented the house and sort of moved myself off. And I think that that was sort of all the pretext to the record. It was just a, a lot of sort of unsurety and, and not really sure where I was going or what I was supposed to be doing. And, and I think the premise of the album was to just get, take it back to square one, how I started, just um, making demos in my bedroom, really, but on a slightly bigger scale. <laughs> yeah. If I had a phone, I would sail you, hold you in my arms, ask you to be true. Once I had a dream, it died long before. Now I'm going to know how painful it should. Um, I was curious about that. Um, you touched on that, uh, renting the house. There's a pretty interesting story like behind the actual recording. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, again, it was, it was quite a simple notion. It was just, if you take away all distractions, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll get good work done. Um, because like I say, trying in studios hadn't worked. There's people coming and going and, and, and there's other opinions and stuff. So that was the initial idea was just, uh, this house was available to me. It was in a really isolated place, um, but not so isolated that I couldn't sort of go out and see people if I wanted to but once I was in the house that was it there was nobody around that I really knew or there were no houses nearby so it was just sit in a house and uh, I hadn't planned it I sort of just moved there with all this recording equipment or musical equipment and stuff that I had and sort of took it day by day and over the period of months the album just sort of arrived in, in a very non-dramatic fashion it wasn't like I had this grand agenda or these 11 songs in mind everything was pretty much written or if I had ideas coming into it they were drastically rewritten during the process so it was just six months of, of, of isolation and just trying to disconnect from all that other stuff from the year before and you know had it gone wrong I would have been okay with that mm -hmm. if that makes any sense at all I think that was the idea was to just make something that was I was happy with and that was the place to do it really See, I've been breaking hearts for far too long loving you for far One of the other things that you've talked about in some other interviews and stuff is that, like, you did a lot of reading up there or in the in the house, and um, you mentioned that those influenced the album too. Um, a couple of the people you mentioned were Fitzgerald and Steinbeck. Yes, I was curious about that because obviously you're Irish, but those authors are so distinctively American. And I was I was just curious, like, what is it about those authors, like, in spite of being a different nationality? Um, and writing out of kind of different national school of thought, like what what is it about those artists that that appeals to you and like that uh, connects with you? I, I I just I've I've always just been drawn to to, to those uh, those particular um, writers. It's something about the the imagery I think that that immediately grabbed me um, when I first sort of came upon Steinbeck particularly I mean we, it, we school in school here I mean as I imagine it is there you read books in, in the latter sort of fifth and sixth year which would be the, sort of when you're 17 18 in mm -hmm. school here they make you they, they so you sort of pick a book so books that we would have read were like To Kill a Mockingbird and then also um, a lot of John Steinbeck so Of Mice and Men would have been a book that would have been read quite a bit and, and just always the imagery just stuck just jumped out at me as soon as I read those, those, those words it's just it's a, a moment in time in America in sort of the start of the 20th century that was just really um, 
just interesting the way they wrote like the Dazzy or F. Scott Fitzgerald particularly you know things like Great Gatsby and, and, and just the characters that he he created and, and Steinberg created and I mean there's endless other novelists from that era as well that I adore um, and, and, and uh, poets as well like people like Robert Frost from slightly earlier and, and just just really dense imagery and, and, and they, they painted a very vivid picture of America which I always just I was just gravitated towards I don't know don't quite know why I just I just have always sought them out and it's very different to Irish novelists I mean obviously this not not we don't have a, a lacking of incredible um, novelists here ourselves but there, it's a different thing you know um, it's just something that I always just loved it I just uh, I just love it I just genuinely the first time I read a Steinbeck novel it just sort of everything you could see it you, I guess you can see it it's the same with like Cormac McCarthy these days and stuff like that everything that he writes you can sort of paint that picture really easily mm-hmm. he creates such vivid imagery you can just visualise it and I think that's something that's really compelling and the words when the world was a vision from the woods had a point between two tracks and by tape and by word rose the beaten I've read a few different uh, like reviews of your music, and um, one adjective that people always seem to use, like it, they describe your music as like having so, kind of a spiritual feeling. Sure. And I was just wondering, like, uh, like do you consider yourself to be a spiritual person? I, I mean, I read some lyrics like in "We Don't Eat." There are some notions of that, but I was just curious. Um. Yeah, I, I think I I do in a very simplistic fashion. Yeah. Um. I sort of have um, notions on spirituality and, and, and sort of how I fit within within that. I think that, that there's elements to a lot of what I do that, that do relate to spirituality, but I often find more often than not is sort of people draw their own conclusions, and I guess that that's sort of what I was going for, which is what makes me, which is what, I, what I like, mm-hmm. is that without telling people specifically what a song is about, that people come to me and go, oh, that, that's what this is about, right? And you're like, well, not, I mean, not necessarily, but it could be, and, and I think that's the, I think that's, that's it's a really good thing that people sort of hear stuff and, and they hear what they want to hear and it, it, you know I think that's again sort of based on what I look at for in the music that I love is that notion as well of hearing things so I think on a simplistic level yeah definitely there is an element of spirituality to it I mean it would be you know obviously you've heard the album and it's, there's a lot of lyrics in there that do um, sort of relate to my own ideas and thoughts and, and, and sort of and again, it sort of harks back to what you asked first off about the sort of notion of sort of change and transition and stuff. And at the time, coming from London and stuff like that, there were a lot of different thoughts and ideas running through my head about where I was and, you know, who I am, where I'm going, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that seeped into the record, definitely. So we don't eat until your father's at the table. That was James Vincent McMorrow. Be sure to check out his album early in the morning on iTunes or Amazon. You can find out more about him at jamesvmcmorrow.com. 
and look for him in the upcoming issue of Relevant Magazine. You're listening to Lady Tron. The song is Ace of Hertz, and Hertz is spelled H-Z. Hmm. And it's playing right now on relevant TV. So it could be Ace of Hz. Right. Okay. Not to be confused with Ace of Biz. <laughs> totally <So> different. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Foster is a speaker and author of the book Graysonomics. Unleash the Power of Second Chance Living. He also leads an organization called People of the Second Chance and was founder, one of the founders of triplexchurch.com. In Graceonomics, Mike describes our society as a vulture culture where grace is scarce and in high demand. This manifesto offers up an innovative solution called Graceonomics, which deals with the production, consumption, and distribution of grace. This simple yet profound idea promises to revolutionize your life, relationships, and workplace by creating an economy of grace. I had uh, the opportunity to sit down and interview Mike. We talked about his book as well as some of the moments that he's personally needed grace. Here's my conversation with Mike Foster. Uh, Mike, uh, through your experiences personally and professionally, you could have written about a lot of issues that matter to you personally. Um, why why Grace for this book, uh, Graceonomics? Yeah, I think, Josh, for the, literally for the past 10 years, um, Grace has been intersecting with my life and my message. And you, know, they, you have some pastors and leaders say that they have a life message. I think Grace is definitely my life message. I think, uh, you know, as I read about in, in the book, Christonomics, one of the things I, I say that it, it's very personal. Um, I look at my own life, I look at my own failures, I look at the, the season crisis that I've been in, um, literally, you know, my whole, my whole, all the way from my flunking out of college to, uh, you know, standing before a, a judge in a courtroom and, and getting my own uh, probation officer to, you know, almost being bankrupt, I think, you know, broken relationships, all kinds of things in my own history where where I have personally leaned into grace. Um, and so talking about grace, writing about grace is very, um, it's just kind of my heartbeat. But the other thing that I know and, and believe is that uh, we're living in a grace-scarce world. And I think all of us um, are, are needing it wanting it um, and are finding so little of it out there in our lives and in our workplaces and in our relationships. Uh, Where in our culture do you think it's most obvious to you that, that grace seems most absent? Is there a place? Is there, is what, where do you see grace absent within within culture right now? Well, I, several different places. I mean, first off, I always think we have to look at the church and really take a hard look at our own 
our own sort of uh, beliefs and values and expressions of grace within within our communities and our own our own faith communities. And I think we really need to do a better job at, at becoming a churches and, and communities that are, are much more accepting of people, that are much more loving of people, that that I think in, in many ways we need to open the door a lot wider than we have. Um, certainly, you know, just kind of moving through the the uh, political season, I think you've seen how we've, we've gone we've become very polarized in our relationships and, and very antagonistic and harsh and sort of this caustic tone that's crept into our politics. Um, certainly in the workplace. I mean, you, you look at a lot of research that, that says that uh, um, employees and, and, and uh, bosses, those relationships are really strained right now. And I think, you know, the economy has a lot to do with it. I think the pressures of work um, a, a recent study uh, reported that uh, 90,000 uh, different employees surveyed internationally, they found that only about 10% of those employees felt that they were an important part or a valued um, component of the organization. And so most people are feeling very defeated and unmotivated and unloved at uh, work. And I think a lot of that has to do with how leaders and bosses uh, interact with them. Why do you think for, for a group of people um, that, for, for the most part, make up uh, most churches uh, as followers of Jesus, who are supposed to be a reflection of the message and life of Jesus, uh, who was all about extending grace to others, why do you think it consistently gets brought up to us that we're continuing to uh, perpetuate a bad message of grace, um, even though we're following a, a rabbi Jesus that uh, did it so well? Well, I, I think it, it, in many ways, I think we've gotten distracted. Um, you know, I, I think it's, you look at grace and you look at the gospel and you look at Jesus' message, and without question, that is Christianity's killer app. I mean, you want to you wanna have an impact in culture, you want to connect with people, you want um, deep relationship with people, you want people to follow, you know, your values and your beliefs, and just show grace. Be accepting, invite them, love them, have mercy and compassion on people. That is that is an incredibly attractive thing. I always I, I describe it when I when I talk about this with different groups. It's sort of like we become firefighters who are stingy with water, and it, it just doesn't it just doesn't work. And and I, I want to be very clear too. I, I don't think um, uh, you know I, I'm not. I'm not dropping hand grenades on the church. I see this as an incredible opportunity for us to change the the, the, the course of sort of the church within culture, um, the dynamics of how people perceive Christians. And if we just got this one thing, grace, not leadership, not creativity, not better music, not whatever other things we think are important, if we just did grace giving really well, um, it changes the whole dynamic uh, for Christianity, for the gospel, and I think our, our local churches. Yeah, 
uh, you and Judd Wilhite, uh, one of your best friends, started People of the Second Chance. And uh, this book is obviously a reflection of the values of that organization that you guys started together. Uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about what People of the Second Chance uh, is all about? Yeah, I, well, Judd and I are our are best buds. And, uh, you know, we are just so, so honored to just kind of be working together on this project. And really, it's just this idea of, unleashing radical grace, uh, whether it be in our own lives, whether it's in our, our relationships, whether it's in our careers or at our churches, um, and, and really sort of developing sort of a roadmap and a, a process to help people do that. And so we're, we're challenging people to really look at, um, you know, their their amount of grace giving. I always, I always say, I think in a lot of ways we've become very cocky uh, about our grace-giving capabilities, and so um, we're, we're, we think we're better grace-givers than we really are. And, and so with people the second chance, they say, wait, maybe we just step back and say, all right, maybe we're not as great as we think we were, and so how can we be better? Um, another thing that we do through people the second chance is we're just sort of a community where where it's okay to be completely transparent with with your mess and your garbage and your pain. Um, you know, I think transparency is such a healthy thing, and yet something that I think there's a lot of confusion about. You know, if, if, all, if Mike Foster spends 90% of his life talking about everything that he's done right or everything that's gone awesome, or if every time you see me it's like I'm on top of the world, um, you know, I'm living. I'm living a, a fraudulent life because Josh, you and I know that that is not uh, the world. That's not. You know, some days there's bad days. Sometimes there's there's good days. Sometimes you know, I, I feel I feel depressed and and lonely. And uh, you know, and those are realities in my life too. And so right. we want to say it's okay to embrace our whole story. It's it's okay to. Um, be who you are. Your your light and your shadow will take it all. And let's let's figure out how to how to encourage encourage each other, stand with each other, and uh, get through uh, get through life together. That was Mike Foster. You can hear this whole interview on the podcast episode page, and you can connect personally with Mike on his Twitter at. At Mike Foster. That's do you, it. Do you think in Australia his his name is Mike Beer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't Thank know. You for that. I, I, do I can't. That, I that like is one Australian it. word that I can claim with absolute assurance. I can translate. Yeah. And it yeah. is Australian. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, also out there, uh, uh, steak is called just called outback. <laughs> <laughs> it's Australian for steak. <laughs> Usually, I like it when Maya does the, uh, yeah, the languages here. But I appreciate your uh, your interpretation. Hey, this this podcast, you get little brain nuggets every day. This is just brain candy. Uh, you're listening to us and our daughters. The song is Honey, 
and it's playing right now on Relevant FM. Uh, a little trivia for those of you who uh, know a little bit about Christian music. Uh, us and our daughters is Philip LaRue and his wife, Leah. Uh, Philip LaRue, as some of you will remember, was part of the old Christian brother-sister duo, LaRue. And he also made a name for himself as a solo artist a few years back. I remember LaRue. I had their album. So did I. Yeah, My wife to it a was lot. really into LaRue back in the day. Yeah. So I like when we say things. I like that you're saying someone else was into it. Like, yeah, yeah, I wasn't into it, but I knew someone that really liked it. <laughs> I knew some huge LaRue fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not one, but uh, but no, I, I like that song, actually. Um, all right, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we asked you what crazy idea you had that could be the next big thing and make you millions of dollars. Is that what we said? Millions of dollars? Millions. 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 Uh, you went over to the podcast episode page and gave us your ideas that is going to cause and allow Relevant to make millions of dollars now. Uh, but we, uh, we did allow you to post your ideas, and here were a few of our favorites. Well, but before before we get into the feedback, I just want to say that a couple people came to my defense about the Baja thing. What was the Baja thing? I didn't listen. Okay, so I are you you're familiar with a Baja, right? Like, like the clothing, the, like the, like like the poncho that you buy at the truck stop. No, no. Okay, it's like it's sort of like a a poncho, mm-hmm. okay, but it's very thick fabric. That and and you can find them in the back of large truck stops um, for sale, and they usually have some sort of south southwestern kind of design on them. Mm-hmm. Is it a poncho or a hoodie? It's sort of both, but it's a baja. I, I think I had mm-hmm. one. Is it like really thick? fabric yes like like, yes. The, like what the mexican blankets are made out of yes yeah. exactly yeah, i totally it's had a one. baja yeah. it's a baja okay wait you said you totally have one had one okay i don't know where it went of course not. well here's the story i said that i think that they could be like a new hipster thing oh yeah like people could start rocking bajas yeah okay yeah. this is his prediction so so people particularly two people posted pictures of hipsters wearing bajas yeah i don't think there's any question that yeah. that's gonna happen there's a band U.S. Royalty. Are you familiar with them? Uh-uh. Well, uh, they look they look pretty hip in this picture that Joshua Rollsbogger uh, posted, um, and one of the guys is absolutely wearing an awesome Baja. So I <laughs> so I threw this out there last week, and I get home from work one day this past week, and last week was my birthday, and on the front porch is a box. Okay. And I'm like, what is this? It's from the, – the, I'm like, who's this? who could this be from? It's from hippieshop.com. <laughs> I open it up, and, and, and Cameron and Maya, for my birthday, have sent me a Baja. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. And it is awesome. And I plan on wearing it for real, not ironically, not as a joke, just like a guy wearing a Baja. <laughs> They're really warm. They're incredibly warm. But now, they seem scratchy. They're yeah. not that scratchy. Not that scratchy? Well, I don't want to wear anything that's kind of scratchy. They're scratchy but then you, you have to break through the scratch. Yeah. What? It's like anything good. It's not always good at first. <laughs> <laughs> are you getting married? So anyti- are you getting married anytime soon? <laughs> like, let me ask you this. If you spend a lot of money on a brand new baseball glove, are you just going to take that thing out? No, you're going to oil it up, put it under your mattress, with the rubber band yeah. around it. A Baja's like that. It's an investment. Or maybe, maybe a deeper question. If when you became a Christian, everything did not automatically get better. Would you just throw in the towel? 
Um, way, to make, equi- way to make it spiritual. Yeah, Ryan. that's Thanks. the equivalent Jesus of a little joke. bit scratchy. Well, I might because Rob Bell says it's all right because I can choose <laughs> later. So, oh come on, too soon. All he right. went there. Uh, Cassie uh, says, "What about a snuggie with a built-in vinyl bib?" For those who not only need to have their hands free and clear to, say, handle a remote control while watching TV and staying warm, but who also would love to enjoy a meal in front of said TV without the fear of staining their Snuggies with barbecue sauce. That's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) But practical. No, that's just gross. Like, you don't need encouragement to do that. You need help. That's amazing. She wants a bib. I like that I just got angry about that. You did. You really got (laughs) fired up. Well, this is gross. Like, Snuggies are already suspect in terms of, well, like, I mean, personal hygiene. I think it's a great idea, because I can't tell you how many meatball stains I have on my Snuggie. <laughs> they, just, they just fall right out of the back of the sandwich. Uh-oh. I like that it's barbecue sauce, and I like that she wants to protect her Snuggie. Yeah. That's yeah. like a precious clothing <laughs> item that she doesn't want to wash. She just wants to keep it clean. Well, I, I had one more idea that I didn't throw out there yesterday, or, or last week, uh, during the Baja conversation. I, my million-dollar idea is a store. And it's called Bolos and Bajas. <laughs> and and we only sell two things, Bolo Ties and Bajas. You would get your but own reality really, show on A&E. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it would be like, it'd be like really, because it, 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 it's, you have two different occasions. You have an occasion that you can wear a Baja to, and you can wear, you have occasions that you wear Bolo Ties to. I think there's bo- nothing in between. Border <laughs> cities in Texas would do, that, that store would do really well. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is if I opened up a either border okay here's the two places that work border towns in, in in you know you know the Texas Mexico border or mm-hmm. Soho I think yeah. I can make a killing I was going to say I was going to say Brooklyn Really? Yeah. But then I, you have I to charge open up a boutique yeah. in Soho Then you have to charge like $200 for your bajas yeah. and your yeah. bolos. <laughs> Literally I I go to the a truck stop in New Jersey load up <laughs> yeah. the bajas for $12 <laughs> and mark them up 1000% yes. put them in my store and I'd be rich. Uh, true. Tim H is suggesting gravy filled biscuits. Think of all the time saved. Mm-hmm. Could that could that <laughs> could that a be idea. a breakthrough idea? In the frozen Can you food tie aisle. Can the in somehow? In the, fr- in the frozen, in the frozen food aisle? Like, yeah. is it that much work to pour gravy over the biscuits? Well, I mean, you waste a lot of gravy because there's a lot of gravy that ends up on the side. I don't like you have to make them separately. Okay. All right. That'll do it for your feedback. Now it's time for this week's question of the week. Editorial question of the week. All right. Uh, for this week's question of the week, uh, we haven't talked about him much. Uh, the uh, the lovely Cameron Strang that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Um, but he obviously is has not been with us uh, today. Uh, he is somewhere in the world. <laughs> That's I'm afraid to go any further and, and to, to, to divulge any more details because... For our question of the week, we want you to take a stab at where Cameron Strang is and what Cameron Strang is doing. What what could possibly be more important than the relevant podcast that he couldn't be with us this week? I don't I don't want to give away too many too many ideas here. Okay. But I did see him leaving with a sword the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and a guitar. And a, oh, that's amazing. That's great. Well, I think he I I I know for a fact that he's starting. He's going to open the very first Baja and Bolo's boutique. <laughs> yeah, he's going to scout out. He loves looking at real estate. He loves Brooklyn. He, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He, he likes scouting out a space and trying to figure out how to paint it, what to do with furniture. He loves that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping he made his way up to the Yukon territories, mm-hmm. and he's going to start relevant Yukon. 
<laughs> we have a lot of Inuit readers. Yeah, yeah, that could be a possibility. Yeah. Um, I haven't thought about that in a very long time. But uh, multi-site, it's big in the church world. It's true. Yeah. It's going to be big with Relevant Magazine yeah. now. Relevant multi-site. Video, uh, video venues. Yeah. yeah, video venues. You can video in to work and stay in your uh, Snuggie uh, with a bib. Um, yeah, so what we'd like you to do is go over to relevantmagazine.com to the episode page for the podcast. And uh, yeah, and give us your feedback and uh, answer the question of the week. What... Uh, is Cameron Strang up to, and where is he this week? Or if if people want to next week talk to Cameron directly, they can uh, you know they can leave us their Skype name on the podcast page, and and they can actually talk to Cameron and try to convince him that their idea was where he actually was. <laughs> yes, I think that's a good that's a good idea. That's and if idea. and if he wasn't, I mean, you might just give him a good idea for, for vacation, next time. Vacation. <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay, I'm I'm leaving right now. That's yeah. actually a great idea. Yeah. I think I'm I'm out. All right. Well, that will do it for uh, this week's podcast. We'd like to thank James Vincent McMorrow for talking to us. His album, Early in the Morning, is available everywhere. Don't forget to check out his website for upcoming tour dates with the Civil Wars at jamesvmcmorrow.com. Also, be sure to look for him in the upcoming issue of Relevant. We want to thank Mike Foster for talking to us. Check out his book, Graysonomics, and connect with Mike at his blog, P-O-T-S-C.com, which is people of the second chance.com or on Twitter at Mike Foster. I am Josh Lujan Loveless, and that will do it for our podcast today. I'm Ryan Ham. Roxy Weeman. Jesse Carey. And that's Chad Michael Snavely. You can't see, but I'm pointing at him right now. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. For more, go to relevantmagazine.com. Yeah, if you're walking around with a sword, I, I got news for you. People are probably going to be making fun of you behind your back.